Are striking doctors really greedy and uncaring? An answer to the Times' view on health sector strikes, uncaring profession. As when train and tube drivers strike to defend pay, working conditions, pensions, decent rail provision and passenger safety, so of the doctors, the media hirelings of the bourgeoisie are up in arms at the selfishness of skilled workers demanding pay restoration that is needed not only for themselves but for the continued existence of a public health service. On Monday the 18th of September, at 12.01am, the Times drops its leading editorial opinion piece on the ongoing industrial action of the British Medical Association, BMA, quote, scheduled to roll out this week on a far more coordinated and systematic basis than, than previously, end quote. In summary, the editor's opinion is, quote, for the first time, NHS consultants and junior doctors will this week strike on the same day. This reckless escalation makes them unworthy of public respect. End quote. Quote, Something extraordinary will happen on Wednesday. For the first time in the history of the National Health Service, both consultants and their junior colleagues will strike together, resulting in almost all planned care coming to a complete stop. Consultants are striking tomorrow and Wednesday. Junior doctors will walk out on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, and they are threatening to continue joint action on three days in early October during the Conservative Party conference, and quite possibly during the remaining life of this government. One would imagine that for hospital doctors to abandon their professional and moral obligations in such a deliberate and callous way, they must be driven by the need to right some terrible wrong. Since of mass redundancies in the NHS, for example. In fact, junior doctors are striking for a 35% pay rise. That's right, 35%. Their argument is that this figure redolent of a South American basket case economy, is their due because of a real terms earnings cuts of over the past decades, end quote. Yes, doctors have been driven by the need to right a terrible wrong. Real terms pay cuts of 35% are, in fact, a terrible wrong, and if any Times journalists doubt it, let them volunteer for the same. It is not ultimately the journalists, of course, but the finance capitalist moguls who control the media group who are really expressing these opinions, hoping to convince the nation of their cause and to demoralise and divide the doctors engaged in the struggle. In this vein, they continue, quote, The radical faction heading the Junior Doctors Committee of the British Medical Association, BMA, the Doctors' Union, knows full well that this is a national phenomenon, but it has convinced itself that its members have some supernatural right to special treatment. Presumably, this is because doctors themselves are special. End quote. Special? All workers are facing a crisis in their raised cost of living in every respect, and their decreasing wages. It is not their special nature then, but rather their character as workers that leads to doctors to fight for pay rates to keep pace with inflation. This is no more than the normal working of, quote, market forces, end quote, something that both the Conservative government and Labour opposition like to hold aloft as a commandment of their capitalist religion. Of course, in this manner, the Times takes the side of the capitalist class against the workers. It is nothing if not consistent. In reality, the BMA and doctors as a profession have singularly failed to mount effective resistance over at least a 20-year period of steady real-terms pay cuts. Consultants' pay in England has fallen by more than 35% since 2008, falling far more severely than comparable professions and the wider working population. As the BMA has pointed out, 
quote, we don't care for 35% fewer patients, carry out 35% fewer procedures, or work 35% fewer hours. Consultants have lost faith in the so-called pay review process, which has been repeatedly interfered with by government, underlined by this year's insulting 6% award, a real terms pay cut of around 5%, end quote. Decreasing the NHS staff wages bill to privatise the NHS and maximise profit. Doctors' pay has fallen far more than that of the wider workforce. In this regard, they have indeed been singled out for, quote, special, end quote, treatment by the government both because doctors' pay was higher than average to start with, and because the agenda of health service privatisation, with maximisation of profit, demands a lowering of the wages bill right across the health sector. The staff wages bill, along with insufficient government funding and the lack of social care for those patients ready for discharge, was cited by the Circle Health Group as the reason for its failure to manage Hinchingbrook Hospital at a profit, as the Financial Times pointed out when Circle pulled out of its 10-year contract after a disastrous three years in charge back in 2015. Quote, but the healthcare ministry insisted that a pipeline of other NHS contracts remained strong and pointed to an increasing number of integrated social and healthcare contracts awarded to the private sector, including Circle's £125 million deal to provide musculoskeletal services for 440,000 NHS patients in Bedfordshire. Virgin, which holds 325 NHS contracts, said it had been in the market for 10 years and would continue to pursue opportunities with the same vigour as before. End quote. Richard Branson remains the, large, the nation's largest GP practice manager, with more than 3 million patients in Kent, Surrey and Sussex. Quote, private provider Virgin Care has won almost £2 billion worth of NHS contracts between 2011 and 2016. Virgin Care and its subsidiaries, then already held, at least 400 contracts with more than 40 CCGs across the public sector, which amounts to £1.8 billion. Virgin secured over £1 billion worth of NHS contracts in 2016 and 2017 alone, which amounted to a third of the total value of contracts won by non-NHS providers in that period. End quote. Let's not forget that the COVID pandemic was used to build up record-breaking waiting lists in NHS hospitals, on the back of which, other than the corrupt granting of £450 billion in quote, emergency COVID contracts end quote, and quote, bailouts, to private business. A further £10 billion of taxpayers' money was pledged by the government to private hospital groups in August 2020 for, quote, buying operations and treatment in the private sector over the next four years to reduce waiting times, end quote. This real hemorrhaging of funds to the private sector is in full swing and far outweighs the cost that would be involved in funding the NHS adequately and paying actual NHS staff to do the job. The subcontracting out of NHS services, with billions in corporate profits being taken from the NHS budget each year, has been accelerating, and is the chief reason that wages are being forced ever lower. Private healthcare is expensive, impoverishes workers, and delivers substandard care. It is worth noting the fate of, of the patients in the aforementioned NHS hospital when it was in the tender hands of private corporate capital. Quote, Hinchingbrook, the flagship of NHS privatisation, was given the Care Quality Commission's worst ever rating for caring. Both safety and leadership were also bottom of the heap. Circle's cleverly grounded mutual model, far from liberating NHS professionals to make grassroots-led improvements, had in fact replicated some of the worst hierarchical bullying practices to be found in the NHS, and it had lost the caring and expertise that are the NHS's strengths. 
principally as a result of poor leadership and financially driven staff cuts to satisfy investors. End quote. The CQC notes, quote, We found many instances of staff wishing to care for patients in the best way, but unable to prevent service demands from severely impinging upon the quality and kindness of care for patients. End quote. It found Circle lacking, quote, sufficiently skilled nursing staff. End quote. Quote, Though the details are shocking, the general picture is unsurprising to anyone, except those who bought the ideological hype about private sector magic dust. Circle won the contract by promising what the Public Accounts Committee called as, as unrealistic and unprecedented le- level of savings, urged on by government officials. Circle's full business case said it would achieve this by altering nurse-patient ratios, but exactly how was blacked out of the plan when it was eventually published. Leaks suggested plans to cut 320 posts in total. End quote. Why is doctors' pay relatively high? Skilled versus simple labour. In its editorial hatchet job, the Times chews over its familiar refrain. You are highly paid. How dare you complain or ask for more? We dub this the Oliver Twist treatment, and it's the same story when any skilled and organised group of workers take action to preserve, restore or increase their pay. In essence, the diatribe directed against doctors today is not fundamentally different to the handling of train and tube drivers when they strike to defend their pay conditions and the safety of their services. The main difference between doctors and other skilled workers is that it takes so very long to train both junior and consultant doctors. Five or six years of medical school, two years of foundation training, house jobs as they were formerly known, at least three years of junior specialty training, senior house officer roles formerly, four to six years of senior training as a registrar or specialist trainee, with perhaps an intercalated research or education degree, two to five years. Alongside all this is a litany of professional exams to pass, courses and conferences to attend, journal articles to write, skills to be acquired, mastered and objectively verified, clinical competence reviews to be completed, and perhaps a fellowship in an area of specialised interest. Training the next generation of doctors and allied professionals is an integral part of doctors' lives and duty. Every doctor is also a teacher. All these steps are competitive. Accomplishment and transition from one stage to the next are not guaranteed. Working lives are hugely rewarding and enjoyable. Lifelong learning is a privilege, as well as an obligation. But time, intellectual and emotional pressures are also intense. The support required also becomes expensive, with travelling, living and working combined with child raising and other family, social and life expenses multiplying in proportion to the time poverty of the professionals involved. And no, not everyone can or wishes to do it. Devotion to duty versus the vulgar pursuit of money. The Times, however, thinks that the special status of doctors, quote, is that their profession is one of the ultimate expressions of human civilization, a career not dedicated to gain, but to the alleviation of suffering. A person that is not commercial, but caring. How does 35% chime with that? End quote. Here, here, the London Times, daily journal of the British monopoly capitalist class, now professes self-righteously that there is some higher expression of human civilization than gain. Would the Times rage so, one wonders, if doctors, nurses, radiographers, teachers, train drivers, engineers, in a word, workers, asked for less money? Less culture, less education for themselves, less schooling for their children, less food, less clothing, less shelter, less rest and recreation, less civilization? 
a smaller proportion of the wealth created by our collective labour? This again is a totally false and hypocritical line of argument. Alas, we are not living in a world where all our needs are catered for, planned, provided for by a benevolent society and states that has the interests of the workers at heart. Quite the reverse. Maximisation of profit is derived directly by maximising working hours and intensity and minimising remuneration. In the immortal words of Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels, quote, the bourgeoisie has played a most revolutionary part. The bourgeoisie, where it has got the upper hand, has put an end to all feudal, patriarchal, idyllic relations. It has pitilessly torn asunder the motley feudal ties that bowed man to his natural superiors, and has left remaining no other nexus between man and man than naked self-interest, than callous cash payment. It has drowned the most heavenly ecstasies of religious fervour, of chivalrous enthusiasm, of philistine sentimentalism, in the icy water of egotistical calculation. It has resolved personal worth into exchange value, and in the place of the numberless, indefeasible, chartered freedoms, has set up that single unconscionable freedom, free trade. In one word for exploitation, veiled by religious and political illusions, it has substituted naked, shameless, direct, brutal exploitation. The bourgeoisie has stripped of its halo every occupation if hitherto honoured and looked up to with reverent awe. It has converted the physician, the lawyer, the priest, the poet, the man of science into its paid wage labourers. And as wage labourers in a capitalist economy, doctors, like any other workers, must struggle to preserve their pay and conditions against the encroachment of capital. Even when NHS employers are the indirect servants of capital, mediated by the Tory or Labour government and NHS management apparatus, which undoubtedly still serve the capitalist class, and which consistently strive to reduce the social wage of the proletariat just as surely as they press down on their direct wages. If we don't pay NHS staff adequately, train them and retain them, there will be no NHS. If pay is insufficient to meet the increased burden of training and the lifestyle involved, then ultimately the profession will fail to attract and retain the skilled doctors that the NHS needs to function. Newly qualified doctors, without the bank of mum and dad to draw upon, are now accruing an average £100,000 of debt during their university study. Quote, in his foundation year one, on £14.09 an hour, Alistair Ludley accumulated £1,044 of interest on his near £90,000 student loan debts, more than his annual repayment of £903. End quote. Hardly an attractive proposition for the nation's best and brightest. Such a situation also preserves medicine as an elite profession not accessible to the majority of working-class students, and it is British public school culture, rather than some special preserve of male doctors, that has a negative impact on the culture of our health service. And here is where the demands of the doctors as a profession coincide with the needs of the entire working population. We all need the NHS to function well. Quote, to provide high quality care at the point of need, free at the point of need, from the cradle to, to the grave. End quote. The attack across the board on NHS pay, on training bursaries, on maintenance grants and course fees is a veiled but crucial part of the attack on the NHS system of public health care provision itself. If NHS workers are not able to preserve their pay, there will be no NHS, with the consequential huge detriment to the life of every British citizen and with a particularly heavy burden falling onto the poorest sections of society, the lowest paid members of the working class. 
let us not remember that an incredible 14 million Britons are now classified as living in poverty, with a further extra 2.5 million people just above the poverty line, meaning that relatively small changes would force them below it too. Of these, 4.5 million are children and 1.5 million are pensioners. Many of our poorest fellow workers are in this position as a result of chronic ill health and chronic unemployment and underemployment. We in the NHS help these workers every day. Without an NHS, such workers will fall even deeper into the classic Dickensian poverty of the Victorian era. This is, in fact, what our government is aiming at. NHS decline. Seemingly, not a day passes without the media pushing another major NHS scandal. It's as if they were a joined-up political and media campaign aimed at defaming and destroying the NHS, of undermining the NHS as the nation's last religion, and indeed, there very well may be. But it's not that the NHS is failing. Rather, we are seeing the effects of the deliberate destruction, undermining, under-resourcing, restructuring, dismantling and corporate fleecing of NHS funding streams. The crises that rack our destroyed public system of health provision are then repackaged and sold to us as further evidence that the entire idea of public health provision, from the gradles at the grave, free at the point of use, end quotes, needs shock therapy, radical surgery, and fundamental rethinking, i.e. a hair of the dog, yet more privatisation. The policies that have been pursued to destroy our NHS all pursued illegally and fraudulently by successive Labour, Condem and Tory governments, under the guise of improving it, one might add, are introduction of the internal market, patient choice, decreased clinical autonomy and decision-making, the revolving door between NHS and business management, a target-driven culture, performance-based funding, brackets, rationing, and brackets, private finance initiatives, PFI, to build hospitals, Clinical and Commissioning Group, CCG, GP fund holding, dismantling of planning and the takeover of the big, by the big four accountancy and insurance firms, subcontracting peripheral and then core services, brackets, dating back to the cleaners and building up to the entire medical services and hospitals, the version takeover, etc. Close bracket. The coup de grace will be the rolling out of nationwide clinical networks, making way for the private health and in particular the insurance industry takeover of NHS funding streams. If all this seems a bit much, we invite our readers to check out the leading role in the process of Lord Simon Stevens of Birmingham, brackets, knighted and then ennobled by Boris Johnson, close brackets. Stevens was appointed chief executive of the NHS when official ministerial responsibility for health provision was removed by the 2012 Health and Social Care Act under the direction of then Tory minister Andrew Lansley. Brackets, does anyone even remember Lansley now? Close brackets. Stevens had formerly advised Labour Prime Ministers Tony Blair and Gordon Brown and Labour Health Ministers Frank Dobson and Alan Milburn on the introduction of the private finance initiative to fleece the NHS. He left that job to become Corporate Executive Vice President and President of United Health's Global Health Businesses, spanning the Americas, Europe, Asia and Africa. He was also a director of, Britain, of Brazil's largest hospital group, Amil. United Health is the world's largest health insurance company, with an annual turnover of $400 billion. Stevens' job was helping his bosses to tap into the huge state budgets for healthcare spending around the world, and the NHS was the jewel in his crown, for which he won his enormous remuneration, high-level government access and his lordship. 
when he passed back through the revolving door to take over as chief executive of the NHS, he did so to, o to oversee the final insurance takeover of CCGs, whose task is to reproduce the basis of the US healthcare system in Britain. British clinical commission groups will mimic the USA's so-called health maintenance organizations, HMO, the system which has made US healthcare the most expensive and inequitable, brackets, literally the worst, and brackets, in the world. What can we do? First, don't be duped. The problem with low NHS pay, including for junior and consultant doctors, is real. As of June 2023, there were 125,572 vacancies in secondary care in England. Of these, 10,855 vacancies were medical, amounting to 7.2% of all medical posts. This vacancy rate is similar to the one seen a year ago. A recent Royal College of Physicians census found that 58% of consultant physicians reported having vacant consultant posts in their department. As a result, the RCP reports that one in five are at risk of burnout, and seven and a half million people are currently waiting for op operations or procedures in England. The General Medical Council GMC, estimates that 10,000 doctors left the medical workforce in 2021, half of them to go overseas. Current OECD data shows that at least 13,000 British trained doctors are presently working abroad. In the Republic of Ireland, the new consultant pay scale starts at the equivalent of around £185,000, double that offered in England. Second, be assertive in our demands. The attack on medical pay is part and parcel of the attack on all workers' pay as on an attack on the NHS itself. We should not be shamefaced in demanding pay restoration. This is central to our fight to save the NHS. We must demand more for all, not less for this or that group of skilled and vital workers. The current economic conditions of inflationary crisis are beyond workers' control and not of our making. Workers should not accept paying with their poverty to protect the capitalists' obscene profits. Third, defend national provision and demand the reversal of NHS privatisation. This must be our consistent demand across all medical, dental and pharmaceutical services. Bracket, for more on this, see our party's resolution on the problems that beset the NHS. Close bracket. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Proletarian Radio. We aim to bring you the best Marxist analysis on current affairs, revolutionary history, and theory. Do like, comment, subscribe, and share our content to help us reach the widest possible audience. We are a small organization with limited resources, and we need workers' support if we are to grow and fulfill our mission. If you are able to make a one-off or regular donation, no matter how small, please visit our website at thecommunists.org and register as a supporter.